Good afternoon. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. Good good morning to to, to Dawn, because Dawn's in, the, in, in Canada, um, and it's 10 o'clock there. It's 3 o'clock here. Dawn, Tracy, welcome to Thriving Adoptees. Looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning, Simon. I am too. I'm really excited. Yeah. So healing, it's one of those words that's banded around. Mm-hmm. And I think we're really great at describing trauma um, and we're less great at describing or defining healing and to me that makes that's important because if we don't really know what what we're aiming at then we've got we haven't really got much chance of getting getting there now I'm, i'm thinking of all that the, the small business stuff I used to do about, you know, objectives mean to be smart, sp- right. specific, measurable, actionable, measurable. realistic, yeah. and time bound. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just, just, yeah. Um, jargon is stuff. But if we don't even really know what healing is, we don't feel like we don't define it. Like so what does, and it, and it, it, it's, it means very different things to different people. So what does it mean to you? Well, I've been thinking a lot about it since um, preparing or thinking about our, our connecting today and really asking myself, what does healing mean for me? And I think for me, it's more of a, a feeling state than it is a goal per se. Like, I don't think there's like that, oh, I'm magically healed now. But I think it's more of a feeling of wholeness that, uh, and I think it's an evolving process. So I think it's something that uh, continues. Like, I don't think it's something that I would necessarily be finished. You know, I think while I'm on this earth, I will be on some kind of healing journey. And for me, I think a lot of it has been about integrating and understanding how the experience of adoption has impacted me and at every stage in my life I think it's impacted me in really different ways so you know when I was a little girl there was a lot of curiosity about what happened to those people that made me and uh, are they okay now And so it was that kind of curiosity I had. Of course, there wasn't a lot of permission to actually give voice to those questions. So a lot of it was uh, like secret thoughts that I kept to myself, you know, in my inner life. And then when I got to be a teenager and a young adult, it was more around relationships and you know, as I was at the age that they were when I was born, there was lots of questions about, oh, wow, you know, how could they have had that experience of having a child and not raising the child? And then, of course, as I moved into my adult life, became a mother, became a wife, now moving into middle age, you know, there's other questions about family and the meaning of family, Um lots of questions about generations and how do things that happen in earlier generations ripple through uh, our family and, you know, reflecting on what are my kids and hopefully if I have grandkids, 
you know, what kinds of questions will they have about this adoption? Because I do think adoption really impacts, of course, the immediate people involved, but I also think it also impacts other ripples throughout both families and the adoptive families and the um, original family. Yeah. So very interesting that when you talked about the curiosity uh, as a as a young kid, um, the, the way you went was a curiosity about them and and are they okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the stuff that you talked about as a as a teen as well, it was also focused on on them. Yes, and and they missed out on this uh, experience of raising you. Uh, so it it's a very kind of is this this is probably because you would call yourself a social worker, yeah? Oh yes, I'm a social worker. Mm-hmm. I've worked in child welfare most of my career. Yeah, I left child welfare about ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, it seems that 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 focus on others was kind of um, <laughs> with you early on, right? Absolutely, it was. For as yeah. long as I could remember, it was. Yeah. 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 And, and yet, you 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 started off. By talking about a, a, a feeling, a feeling of wholeness, mm-hmm. which is clearly more internally focused. Um, so that that feeling that that feeling of wholeness to me is is that that that's the that's the healing the that's the heal the healing bit. Otherwise, the, the other stuff is more about um, the thoughts that have changed over the years, I guess. Yeah. And I think, though, they're both so related because what I didn't realize as a child, obviously, was that, yes, I was wondering about them and wanting to know more about who they were. Uh, and not really, you know, there wasn't a lot of understanding on my part or even in my parents' part that having been conceived by a different couple and raised by another couple caused a trauma, right? Caused a, a deep loss and grief um, that was never really acknowledged. Uh, and so I, grew up through most of my well I grew up through my childhood into my young adulthood not really understanding you know like in that fog that people talk about and so there was this big rift so there was all these questions about who these people were and then there was this life that I was living in my adoptive family but in between was this big huge grief that uh, was almost invisible to me for quite some time Uh, Well, until I started, you know, running into some relationship challenges where I uh, found myself in therapy. And then then I started to understand that somehow the relationship challenges, the difficulty connecting with people, the difficulty I had uh, in setting boundaries, particularly around abusive relationships or people that would take advantage of me. Um, was related to this grief and this sort of longing to know who these people were that didn't weren't in my life. 
Um, and so then that, for me, the searching for them and understanding them uh, is very intertwined with being honest and truthful about all the grief and longing and curiosity uh, that I held about my them, but also myself, because of course, part of their story is my story too. Yeah. Do, do any uh, healing moments come, come to mind? I, I mean, mm. uh, moments of feeling that wholeness that you were talking about. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, the first one that came into my mind immediately when you were talking uh, was actually happened in therapy. And I don't know if we were necessarily talking about adoption at that stage. But I was talking about how in my adoptive family, uh, I felt so different. You know, because I do have, you know, a different perspective on the world. I have different values, certainly different political beliefs than a lot of my adoptive family. And uh, I was kind of feeling like I didn't belong. Well, I wasn't kind of. I was feeling like I didn't belong. And so we were talking about that. And then my therapist reflected back to me and said, well, why is it that you have to fit into somebody else's life? Why can't it be that your life fits you? And it was like the way that she phrased that sentence to me, it was like all of a sudden I went from standing on the outside watching my life to actually being in my life. Just that reframe um, gave me a real sense of, oh, wait a minute. Like I have not really been in my life. I've been standing on the outside watching life go by. Uh, and that gave me the perspective to then start understanding that I needed to be in my life. And that meant being truthful about what I wanted, what I felt and what I needed. And that was really a big beginning for me so that the inside and the outside started to match. Yeah. So healing came with that, that reframe issue. It started there for sure. And then, you know, there's been many moments since then. I've now connected with many people in my birth family. And every time I've met people or uncovered significant pieces of information, there's been an accompanying grief that goes with that. Uh, but then after the grief, uh, there's a new understanding or a deeper understanding where I feel as though I'm recovering pieces that I've lost. Or pieces yeah. that we're missing. Interesting. Um, one of uh, one of our neighbours is a a, a, a counsellor, and she she talks about I was talking. She talks about having to break down to break through, mm -hmm. and that was the that was the thing that popped into my head as you said that there's 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 some there's some grief, and then there's some healing. There's some grief, and then there's some healing so what what are you grieving then um what am i grieving that's a really good question 
I mean, I think it's different all the time, depending on what's going on. So if I think about presently, you know, my story is, is, is uh, got a couple of layers to it because my birth mother was also an adopted person. So even when I found her uh, and I found siblings that she raised, uh, there was not a lot known about her origins or her story. So uh, recently, I have now discovered more about her origins through doing DNA testing and finding DNA relatives. And I think a lot of the grief and sadness that's been coming up around that for me really is twofold. It's sort of wondering about how my birth mother's life might have been very different if she had understood what was happening or what happened that contributed to her own adoption because she had a lot of feelings of rejection uh, is what I understand. Uh, and then how that might have influenced the decision she made when she placed me for adoption. Because so much of what happened in my adoption seems to me like it was a reenactment of her own trauma. You know, so many circumstances were so similar between the way I was placed for adoption and she was placed for adoption. It's like the cycle repeating. And so there's a lot of wondering and sadness about how things might have been different, you know, if there wasn't so many secrets connected to yeah. both of our adoptions. What came to, to mind is you you're talking about the grief is is almost like um a a pain of 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 a, a belief dying yeah um and i heard this metaphor a while ago which struck with with me in terms of the uh this is the the, the true self is is the flame Okay, and uh, the the false self is the moth that's drawn to the flame, and it it's drawn to the flame until it gets very close to to, to the flame, and then it doesn't it, it wants what it wants more than anything else is 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 the it's at its end. It's it's. Mm -hmm. To, to be consumed by the flame but the the pain of the heat in that moment it it bounces it bounces off yeah and the letting go i mean you know i don't know if it's true for every adopted person but i think for many of us it's hard to let go of some of those beliefs and things that we held as true even if maybe they haven't necessarily been serving us Sometimes we don't even realize, I think, that some of those beliefs were not serving us very well until we're confronted with a new truth. And yeah, I, I like that analogy is, is as we get closer to that flame of authenticity, you know, we get caught into the flame and there might be some discomfort of that as that dissipates. Yeah, something's coming to mind about an adoptee i'm not going to mention their name 
they went into a uh, a kind of belief-busting class, should we call it, you know, like mm. a consciousness retreat, that sort of thing. Uh, and it they shot them and it was it was hard hardish core it wasn't gentle it was mm. gentle stuff this was designed to shake everybody up and it wasn't an adoptee only thing it was open to everybody um and that person backed right out of the situation mm. because it felt they felt that the, the 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 pain of that belief being um yeah b- being lost and it doesn't sound like you've done that though it sounds like you've kind of pu- pushed on through the through the, the the pain i have and i mean i i i don't know why i think maybe for me there's something in my um disposition you know, I, I, maybe my curiosity is stronger than my fear. Um, I also think for me, it was, it's been so, so healing to have a yoga and meditation practice. And I think that has really, really helped me build some ways to tolerate discomfort without feeling as though, you know, I'm going to disappear altogether because sometimes that's the fear at least I remember early early on in the journey I remember having this fear of uh, annihilation right that existential of oh my god I'm not going to exist or maybe I shouldn't exist and uh, I think as I learned to tolerate that and I mean I've had a lot of therapy like, you know, it's not like I've been doing this all on my own. I've had lots and lots of support and therapy uh, and uh, and yoga and meditation have also been huge, huge tools to help me. Yeah, that that annihilation, mm-hmm. that's the moth's fear of itself. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. much death. Uh, the I love the curiosity being bigger than the fear. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's huge. That's huge. Um, because it, it's like the, for me, it's the beliefs that keep us stuck yeah and we we can't we have you tried doing affirmations have you tried doing that oh yeah i do i do that daily yeah 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 i think you can do affirmations on different levels so i you know i try to kid myself on Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like try and persuade yourself. Yes. There's persuading ourselves, and I guess there's reminding ourselves. I think there's perhaps yeah. the two different thing. Yeah. So yeah. trying to persuade myself. Um. But it's the. It, it's almost like it. It has to. 
there's a there's a break the breakdown to break through is a, a belief being busted like it's a, to me it feels like a spontaneous thing mm-hmm. rather than, than something that's forced right so it's something that oh, we yeah. see rather than something that we um, white knuckle through I heard this uh, I, I heard I heard a somebody being interviewed, an adopted being interviewed for a podcast of something sometime last year. Uh, and they they were saying that so they asked the, the host, uh basically, how can I disbelieve what I believe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So given all this truth about me, although that's true, how can it not be true? Right. So they were trying to kid themselves and change the like you know, given that given that the world, I, I can't think of an analogy. Um, no, nothing's coming to mind. But they, they it, it it was a forced thing. So a a forced thing rather than something that came up. So I'm thinking about your, uh, you you used the word reframe. Mm -hmm. But it it was something, you didn't try and reframe it. The the therapist asked you a question that led to a reframing. Yes. Yes. So it, it, it wasn't intentional. On your part, it was seeing a truth, seeing yeah. you seeing a new truth. Well, it's what Oprah would always call those aha moments. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have those experiences in your life where all of a sudden this moment of grace comes on you and you're like, all of a sudden you see things totally different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you talk about beliefs, I think sometimes they happen in an instant like that. And I think other times it's more, I think about it as like being a patient gardener. And sometimes you have to go into that overgrown garden and you have to patiently and very carefully pick out the pieces that don't belong there. And sometimes they get plants get intertwined with one another to the point where you don't even understand which is which. And so I think sometimes you have to do things very uh, patiently, quietly, and mindfully. And repetitively. And repetitively, because it keeps coming back. Right. When I think about your affirmations or mantras or those things, right, that's what we're doing, isn't it? Is we're we're trying to maintain that garden so that those weeds don't get too overgrown. Uh, and uh, and then other times, you know, you pull that weed out and it never comes back. And. Uh, yeah, so I, I think and I think what happens, what I've come to see in. Uh, adoption and because I'm a social worker and I've met spoke to so many people and heard about their stories that kind of understand that what happens in adoption is kind of a magnified version that happens for a lot of people 
in terms of having false beliefs about themselves and false identities and um and I think what happens for us, because it's so literal, the experience is so literal of moving from one family, moving to a different family, having one identity, given a new identity, uh, like legally, um, that it, it's a magnified experience of that. It's it's a magnified experience and it's a pre-verbal experience. Yes. For a lot of us, you're right. It's very, it's pre-verbal, so we can't even speak about it. It's, it's before we, and and it, it's a forgotten experience, right? It's a forgotten experience. Well, forgotten, but not forgotten, at the same time. Oh uh, yeah. So you'll have maybe heard this from the therapist. Uh, the the well, it's the body keeps the score, isn't it? Right. Um, it's not a conscious memory. Right. It's an implicit so the mem memory. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's the body. That that's all these book titles have such ominous, are so ominous, aren't they? They are. Primal wound. The body keeps the score. It's going to settle. Yeah. Something's going to... And The Body Keeps the Score it isn't even an adoption book, is it? No, it's a trauma book. It's a trauma book. Yeah. And, you know, well, I think, too, the other piece that you're reminding me of as you're talking about that is that there's also that implication that we're somehow broken. And what I've come to realize is that, you know, I'm not broken because of what happened to me. I'm having a very normal reaction to something that happened to me in the world that was broken. Yeah, well, um, it, it's people talk about yeah, it being, you know, the system being broken. Yeah, we we talked about that before we uh, before we uh before we hit record the the bureaucracies or the the systems behind adoption um but for me it's about what's the me that's broken mm. Well, I'm not sure what you would say about that. Because I would say, I don't know that you are broken. I would say that the beliefs that you have about what happened to you are is the problem, right? Yeah. Like if we think uh, about that flame, you're still that flame. So if we stick with the flame analogy mm -hmm. that's fine. can anything put that flame out i don't think so can anything turn that flame down 
Well, this is now a spiritual spirituality kind of conversation. Um, yes, that's why I yeah. went away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I don't believe that. I think things can happen that can cloud the flame, like dim the flame, or cover the flame. Shades that go over the flame. Yes. Um, but I don't think the flame can go out. So why are so many of us arguing then that the flame has been turned down? You know, it's gone from if it if it was a light bulb, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they measure it in lumens, don't they? They measure light in lumens. Okay, so if the flame, we're sticking with a natural a flame, we're talking about a flame that's coming off the top of a candle, and we're saying, well, they call it candle power, don't they? There's something like that. So mm. the, the the measurement of brightness is in candle power, uh, and and the uh, tr traditionally, and I think it's in lumens now. Yeah. So. Why are so many of us saying, um, "My, I, I was, I was a hundred lumens, and adoption has reduced my, reduced my flame strength to ten lumens." What? Because that's what that's what we're saying. That's what so many of us are saying, right? Yeah. Maybe it's because we're not nurturing that flame. I think it's because we feel like that. Yeah. It feels like that. Like if you ignore a fire or it can't, you know, if it's not getting the fuel that it needs, it's not going to burn as brightly. Yeah. So we might blame, um, we bl might blame the, uh, the re reduction in candle power on being adopted. We might blame the uh, the uh, our adopted parents, yeah, for reducing our lighting power, yeah. And we might even blame experiences that we had that led to the adoption on that. Like when I think about people that have experienced abuse and neglect and, you know, um, that certainly can also do that. So we might think that there's something wrong with the uh, the shape of the candle. Yeah. But what you're saying is that the candle power isn't reduced. It's just shaded. Or the potential of the candle power maybe isn't reduced. We feel that though, don't we? We do. We don't feel, you said feeling whole. Mm -hmm. so we don't feel if, if our innate light is 100 lumens. We don't feel that. No. We don't, we don't feel 100 lumens. We think we, we, we feel we or we feel or we believe and everybody else is telling us everybody else is telling us that right yes go and go on a facebook group and and and, and say uh adoptees 
are running at full power and and they're going to say you're toxically positive simon and mm. and dawn you're toxic yeah. toxic you're toxically positive and we and, and we're gonna we're gonna cling we're gonna cling to what we know because we believe our light has been diminished by the circumstances of our life well and i think i think it it does we do experience that and you know we certainly i did you know i experienced feeling invisible and feeling not valued and feeling uh, like i didn't matter yeah because my parents they didn't understand right they did not understand that there was a loss or a pain for me because i was not being raised by the person that gave birth to me they did not understand that so you you felt out of 100 how many if 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 your loom if your lumens if your if your lumens are 100 lumens what did you what what did you feel what was your average feeling mm. as a kid 20 30 40 10 yeah i mean i think particularly once i got closer to adolescence i would say definitely sort of hovering around 30 or 40 maybe even 20s in some places sometimes in my life yeah and did uh, and and I, i'm guessing that your parents or your light is stronger than that and and so there's a mismatch between your feeling of life your feeling of your life and their feeling of your life yes absolutely and you know i was fortunate to have some of those conversations with my adoptive mom before she passed on you know as adults and you know she just never she could only see me shining at a hundred. Yeah. She never saw that. Oh. Well, my mum does the same. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the word grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, that's one of the kind of the enablers on the healing, on the healing thing. Because if we are I, I came up with this a couple of weeks ago. This I had this realization. We're I, I think that we're judging seventies uh, seventies parenting. Mm-hmm. We well, we're judging we're judging twentieth century parenting on twenty first century knowledge. Yeah, and it isn't fair. It isn't that isn't giving our adoptive parents grace. Mm-hmm. So if, I, t- I don't know if I said this on the podcast or just in another conversation I had with, uh, with an adoptee. Like Nancy Verrier's book didn't come out until like 92 or 93. Right. And and by that time, I was 
25. Yeah, I yeah, I was, what was I, 44? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's not fair to no. judge them. We, we have to give them, we have to give them grace. And then, and then, no, but we've, but, but then you've got this, like, right, I saw something on Facebook this morning, and it was about, it seemed to me to be about righteous, righteous anger. Mm. And and I think somebody once said to me, uh, well, Simon, would you rather be right and angry or uh wrong and calm something like that you know like mm -hmm. it's a no in it's a no-brainer and i'm a, a favorite mentor a, a mentor of mine so one of my favorites statements of all time we can't judge the picture when we're in the frame yes yeah so it takes and the guy that told me that was a coach right so mm -hmm. he's 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 got a he he's he's got a um He's got he's got skin in the game, hasn't he? But mm. it, he he was I think he's telling me the I think he's telling the truth there. That's why we need a third party because the third party challenges us on our beliefs uh, and helps points us towards the picture that we can't see because we're in the frame. Yeah, but anger is part of grief. But what happens for, I think, a lot of us is uh, we get stuck in the anger. Because maybe it's safer to feel angry than it is to feel loss or pain. Well, it it's that. It's back to the, the moth and the flame, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's drawn to the flame but the flame's giving off some heat mm -hmm. and, and and we've learned we, we've learned uh, earlier in our lives that putting a hand on a hot stove would get burned. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I also think for some people, you know, the level of pain and law that they experience in their adoptive home was pretty intense. Right. Like my parents, a lot of I, I would say a lot of what happened around my understanding of adoption in my family was sort of out of their ignorance or lack of knowing. Right. Not out of a lack of intention. Right. They always intended to be really good parents to me and provide a good home to me. I'm not sure that's the case for everyone, though. Right, Simon. And you've probably met a lot of people, too who've had some really, really difficult times in their adoptive homes after already having yeah. a difficult time. Yeah. You know, that experience, that traumatic experience. Trauma. Yeah. The, the trauma multiplies. There's, yeah. there's, there's, uh, there's the relinquishment trauma and yeah. the, the trauma whilst being raised. And it, I think probably it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's a it's a it's a multiplier, not an added additive thing. So it, right, yeah, yeah. And so then I think 
I can understand why some people are angry and they're going to be there for a long time. Well, we're we're all angry in that grief. Yeah. We're all the the the, the relinquishment is is grief, and a, a lot of people are talking more about this these days. So we had um um had Pamela Karen over on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had a few other different people on the show, and they're pointing us towards looking at at grief, the closest thing to our stuff is 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 grief absolutely if we're looking at the relinquishment part of the equation right could be angry at the relinquishment angry at, at being relinquished and angry about how we were raised and the two that's going to feed into it isn't it that it will feed into it and you know when you think about that relinquishment trauma when for if we're talking about infant adoption right and certainly i I, for mine it was an infant adoption i think for you it was an infant adoption we experience the unthinkable loss the loss of a parent the unimaginable loss that most people don't ever want to think about, never mind as an infant, with like no ability internally to cope and manage that. And we're not thinking about it. No, we're just we're ex- not thinking. We're just feeling. That's right. So we're experiencing how we expected the world to be, that this person that we grew in was going to take care of us is not here. And so then it's life and death. Because if a baby doesn't have their caregiver, then they're going to die. Yeah, but we, when we do this, we're putting we're putting all the cognition, we're putting all the thoughts in, and it, and and we don't we're not doing that when like I was five weeks old, and, and my birth mother she she had to give, uh, relinquish me tw- twice, mm. so she ha- gave me to a short-term foster. Yeah. Foster. And then she had to collect me from that short-term foster and take me to the adoption agency. So she had to do it twice. Oh. So, you know, what what was going on for me? I'm scared the first night and then she comes back. Yeah. She comes back. How I don't know I don't know how many weeks I was with the short-term. So I was five weeks old when um my mum and dad collected me from the adoption agency. So let's say I was with her for a week. Mm-hmm. And the foster, the short-term foster care over took, took over for four weeks. And then, then she comes, picks me back up and then she takes me, gives me away. So then yeah. I thought, I thought, you know, everything's back to normal. And then no, they the, the, the pulled the rug from underneath my uh, feet. feet. Yeah. But it's a feeling thing. It's an you know you, you said the word experience, and I, I think one of the things that I'm seeing really clearly at the um, at the moment that I've never never seen is that 
this is an healing is an experience mm -hmm. because the loss was an experience it wasn't a th it wasn't a th we didn't have thoughts no you're right we didn't have words you're right we had to experience it yeah yeah and I, I joked on a podcast the other day. So there's no point doing podcasts because this is an intellect. You know, we're having an intellectual conversation. <laughs> Except maybe the experience of you and I talking to each we're other feeling for yeah. each other. Yeah, <laughs> we get we're getting as close. We're getting as yeah. close to it as we can. Yeah, but it's yeah. an experience, and it's. That's got nothing to do with it, intellect. No, and I think sometimes intellect can get in the way for us. At least for me, I think it can. Because if I get Definitely into my head, me. then I don't feel it. Yeah. Yeah, I have to remind myself. To, to like, you know, get into my body, feel my body, what's happening? What am I feeling in my body? Yeah. I definitely have to well, still do I, that. I don't know if I said this on another podcast again or, or just to another conversation I had off the podcast. My, uh, my, my therapist has banned me from intellectual <laughs> I can't I can't listen to any books about neuroscience or trauma. Right. I can't read any books about stuff. I can't watch any videos. She's, she's put she's put me on an intellect ban. An intellect oh my goodness. How is that going? It's going okay. It it is more than okay. It's giving me space. Yeah. It's a different part of your brain, isn't it? It's a different part of being a human being when you're not living up in your intellect. Well, yeah. And that's what, funnily enough, that's what the neuroscience was telling me mm -hmm. with the books that I was reading, <laughs> listening to, when she told me to, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. it is it, yeah. it, it the 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 inner critic that says that we're not good enough mm -hmm. which as adoptees do not have a monopoly on clearly um is in our left brain yeah the spacious open stuff is in the Right brain. That's why right. connecting with the. That's why connecting with uh, creative pursuits. Yes. Yes. Is is going on the right brain. Yeah. So who who would have thought that our our one of the biggest barriers to our healing and feeling whole is our intellect. And yeah. And yet for me, it was also growing up a very protective thing, I think, because it helped me cope 
um, and helped me find places, uh, almost have a, like a break from those dark emotional feelings is I could escape into my intellect and escape into my schoolwork and get positive feedback and get positive experiences. And then, yeah, to learn later in life that, oh my goodness, this has helped me maybe in this way, but in this way, it hasn't helped me at all. Like in terms of my healing, it really was, hasn't been that helpful. Um, took a lot of relearning how to be. Yeah, well, we go to we go to school, and uh, how, how many lessons are there on emotional intelligence? Yeah, zero. Yeah. And I like what you said about experience, uh, because. When I first started thinking about this idea about healing, I thought to myself, I don't know that I can describe healing. I can only know when something feels healing to me. What well, you, yeah. And that's, that's what you said. You said <laughs> it's a, it's a feeling of wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a thinking of wholeness. It's no. a feeling of wholeness. Yeah. And I do think it's probably what Dan Siegel talks about when he talks about that integrated brain, you know, to get a little intellectual. Um, I do think that's what he that's what he's describing when he talks about integrating, having a brain where the left side and right side are well connected. Probably leads to that feeling of wholeness. Um, but of course, I've never done a brain scan on myself, so I don't know that for sure. I just know I feel a lot better than I did 15 years ago. Yeah. So what about wholeness, wholeness and um, spirituality? Because that's that's the essence, though, isn't it? Yeah. The well, one for me, it certainly it is. Yeah, for me, it's. Definitely... I'm talking. I'm, I'm, I'm talking non-religious spirituality. Yes, for me also, because I grew up in a Catholic family, but. Um, I would say that I'm not Catholic now. Um, but yeah, for me, it's been very healing to connect with a spiritual belief and practice that feels right for me. And uh, that reminds me of my flame, right? And that reminds me that there is more to me than just what happens in this body um and that there's a that i am a, an individual expression of a larger energy like so i'm connected to everybody we're all connected in some way uh, isn't and that wholeness that is wholeness yeah but there's the wholeness within, and then there's that wholeness within the larger world community, right? Yeah. Well, 
that'll yeah. be the next that's going to be the next conversation um because we're coming up on time here is um now when we originally connected yeah it was before i had this narrow focus on on healing yeah mm-hmm. uh, and you wanted to share something about your your work and and you've you've done this work done the research work around re, uh, reunions you actually openness yeah openness and adoption so um because of this healing journey that i'm on and uh the experiences that i had and of course because i have these two roles working in the area of adoption but also living it uh as we started to do more ongoing contact for kids when they were adopted with their original families i was very hopeful at the beginning because i had really helped a thought that it would help support the integration, right? That knowing about the secrets and, and all of that stuff. But yet when I started to work with families, I started to realize that this is so complicated uh, because even though in theory, it might do that, in practice, people don't have the experience of how do they negotiate and support these relationships. So I wanted to, uh, I did some, I wanted to speak to adopted people who grew up with openness. And I've done that. Yeah. Uh, a small group. Uh, and uh, to hear what it was like for them to have open adoptions. And, you know, a few themes came through. Now, it's a really small study. Uh, I did it at Laurier, uh, Wilfrid Laurier University here in Ontario, Canada. Um but the, a few things that came through that were really important, and I think for all of us to consider is, you know, our system is still built on the notion of closed adoption, so that even though we're doing open adoptions, there's not a lot of supports in place for families on either side. And in fact, in Ontario, there's like almost no supports in place for original family members. Yeah. So they can't negotiate these relationships because of all the grief that comes up, it yeah. gets really messy. The other piece is around siblings and the importance and significance of sibling relationships yeah. uh, is I think in practice has been way underestimated. And um, I think exploring siblings, whether it's within our adoptive families or our original families, I think is also a really important thing for all of the professional field, as well as maybe adopted people, the adoption field to really uh, consider and think about is the importance of sibling relationships and how they can help with some of filling in some of these identity gaps that we get when we're separated. Cool. So there's a link, there's a link in the show notes, uh, listeners to, to Dawn's work here. And um, uh yeah, thank you so much for... Thanks for that, Simon. I appreciate that. Fantastic conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was lovely meeting you. Yeah, lovely meeting you too. <laughs> thanks, thanks, listeners. We'll speak to you very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. All right.